Well, good evening, everyone. All right, smiles, I like it already. I was sitting in the back, and it didn't look that, like that many people, and then I come up here, and it's more people. So it's kind of nerve-wracking sometimes. <laughs> but before we begin, let's just have a word of prayer. Ask God's Holy Spirit to be our teacher. Our Father in heaven, thank you for bringing us to the Sabbath, to this time of holiness and purity, where we get to practice being in your presence for 24 hours. Lord, as we are here to study the Bible, we ask that your blood cover our, our accounts that you purify our thoughts and feelings, that they reflect your own, and that you would grant us the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the only effectual teacher of truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, tonight we're going to try to get to a place. I've given you a handout that you can use later, along with the lesson guide that they will give you when you go home. Now, this is probably one of the most important subjects that we're going to cover, and the reason why it becomes so important, you will actually see in a few moments. I want you to open your Bibles. We're going to use Revelation chapter 10 as our framework of study. Revelation chapter 10, and we will use that as our framework of study, and, and may I have one of those handouts as well? I'll take one of those as well. Thank you. Revelation 10 will be our framework of study. And I want to read verse number one, two, and three. Thank you, sister. Revelation chapter 10, verses one, two, and three. The Bible says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from, what's it say, my friends? From heaven. Please note that this is a distinction from the beast that come up from a pit. Right? There's something coming down from heaven, coming from the presence of God. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. And his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book opened, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the earth. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had roared or cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, my friends, they always say this. They say a picture is worth a what? A thousand words. And I think God wanted to say quite a bit. For the whole book of Revelation is in pictures. Do you follow that idea? The whole book of Revelation is in pictures. It's in symbols. God is trying to say a lot in a little bit of time. And so he puts this in forms that, do you know that in, in, in the recent studies regarding memory, they say the stranger the picture, the more you remember. Do you see that we do with the commercials? You've seen those Geico commercials that make no sense? And they do that on purpose because the stranger it is, the more you will remember it. I think God knew that already. 
I think God already knew that we would remember better with pictures. So in Revelation 10, in verse 1, it gives us imagery. And I want to examine this imagery. It says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. Now we're going to examine this idea of a rainbow for a few moments. I love how God uses nature to teach lessons. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 9. I'm going to put it on the screen because I want you to see what I saw when I studied. So with Genesis chapter 9, verses 13 through 16, please notice what the Bible says. It says, I do set my bow in the, what's it say? In the cloud. And it shall be for a token of a, what's it say? Covenant. Please keep that in mind. Between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud all over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. Pay attention now. I repeat this. And the bow shall be in the cloud. And I will look upon it that I may remember the, what's it say? Everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. So I want you to skip, keep this in mind. We see a bow inside of a cloud. And when we see a bow inside of a cloud, based on the text, it is a symbol of a covenant. You're to remember God's covenant. You're to remember the everlasting covenant. Do you see that, my friends? So now in the book of Revelation, I see an angel clothed with a cloud and a rainbow is over his head. That is a bow in a cloud, which means this angel is a covenant-keeping angel. Are you with me, my friends? No ordinary angel. This is no ordinary being. So the bow shall be seen in the cloud. Now I want to go to the book of Ezekiel real quickly here. Ezekiel 128. I want to show you something else. There is a correlation. Ezekiel, Ezekiel 1 and verse 28. We have it, just say amen. All right, we have one amen. We got two amens. All right. When you have it, say amen. All right, we got five amens. All right, Ezekiel 128, the Bible says, as the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain. I'll read it again. As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of who, my friends? Interesting. Interesting. Bow in a cloud is a symbol of a covenant. And now we see a bow in a cloud is now a symbol of the glory of the Lord. Are you following me, my friends? Remember, a picture is worth a thousand words. All right, let's go a little bit further. How was that doing there? Let me get this off of here. Notice this. 
Now remember, a cloud. Now I want us to examine the idea of a cloud. Now what I did was I went through all the verses in the Bible. Every verse I can find that had the idea of the word cloud in it. And this is some of them, but I, I'm going to come up with a conclusion when we're done reading these. It says, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a, what's it say? Of a cloud to lead them the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to, to go by day and night. And it, came to, uh, and it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick what? Do you see a pattern? Who comes in a cloud? The Lord does. Let's go a little bit further. I have a couple more just to make sure you got the point. Leviticus 16, 2. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not. For I will appear in the, what's it say? Cloud upon the mercy seat. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the, that the, cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. The Lord appears in a cloud. Now, I, I read everywhere. I went through all of Scripture, all of Scripture. I found very few characters that would appear in a cloud. So what we have now is a bow and a cloud together is a symbol of a covenant. It's a covenant-keeping angel. And then we read that God himself is the one that appears in clouds. So this angel is no ordinary angel. Remember now, the, the word angel, the word angel simply means messenger. Angelos, it means messenger. So they don't always have to appear with wings. Are you following the idea? So sometimes we have this idea of the wings and, it, you know, the, that, that idea. There's nothing wrong with that idea. But in this sense, it simply means a messenger came down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, with a bow and a rainbow together, or a bow and a cloud together, symbol of a covenant. Let's go a little bit further. I'm going to pass this. It says that his face shone as the sun. Now, what does it mean that his face shone as the sun? Now, go with me to Psalm 72 and verse 17. Psalm 72 and verse 17. We're unpacking what this imagery is representing. Psalm 72 and verse 17. Psalm 72 and verse 17. The Bible says, his name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun. Now, this is what you call uh, a Hebrew parallelism. So in one part of the psalmist, the first part of it will say something in one way, and then the second part will say something that's the opposite, like a poem like a rhyming poem or a rhyming thought or a matching thought. So it says, 17, his name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun. And men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. So in this passage, here's what I got. I got that the sun lasts for a long time, and therefore the name of God lasts for a long time, and that goes together. Everybody follows that? All right, let's go a little bit further. Let's jump to the, the next 89.36. Let's go to Psalms 89. And 36, doing a little bit of biblical mathematics. Psalms 89, verse 36. 
Notice what the Bible says. Again, this is a Hebrew parallelism. It says, his seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. What is the psalmist trying to say? It's going to keep going. Let me ask you a question. This is just, when I ask obvious questions, trust me, I'm looking for the obvious answer. The sun that is shining today, is it the same sun that shone in the day of Adam? Yeah, it's the same sun. The idea is it is enduring, it is everlasting, it is continuous. So when it says his face shines like the sun, it is bright, it is powerful, it is glorious, and it will continue forever. His character is enduring. Does that make sense, everybody? All right, let's keep going. Now, what I, what I did was, this is my little reference, what I did was I began to search the scriptures. And there are stories in the Bible that give us a clearer understanding of what God is trying to communicate. So I want you to go to the book of Exodus now, and I want you to go to chapter 34. The book of Exodus, chapter 34. And we are talking about the longest time prophecy. Don't, 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 don't forget what I'm gonna, we're talking about. I just come at it from a different angle. Sometimes we hear the same things, some of us over and over, we get too comfortable. So I'm here to shake you up a little bit. Amen. Exodus 34, and I want to begin at actually at verse number 29. Actually, verse 28. Let's read verse 28. Watch this. It says, and he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. Who was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights? This is talking about Moses, okay? So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. Well, how did he survive if he didn't drink bread, drink, drink water, <laughs> or eat bread? How did he live? How did he live? He was sustained by the presence of God himself. I, I think we, at a certain level, I'm going to challenge you throughout, at a certain level, we think the job provides our meal. Are you guys, you guys following what I'm saying? I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to say it again in a different way. At a certain level, we believe that because we work from 9 to 5, that that's how we are sustained. Do you guys remember the story of Elijah? There was a drought. There was no food in all the land. There was no grocery store for him to go to. There were no crops that were growing. Elijah had to go by the, the banks of the river, and God told the ravens to feed him. You see, there's, there's, a, there's a training that God's going to have for his people. You, the devil's going to trick you to think that you are sustained by your money. The devil's going to get you to think that you're sustained by your job. And what will happen is he's going to test your loyalty. Are you loyal to the money or are you loyal to your God? Because it's the God of the universe that is our provider. He is our sustainer. I mean, when you walk into the most holy place, my friends, there's the Ark of the Covenant, and inside the Ark of the Covenant, there is this rod that budded by just the presence of God, and then there's this pot of manna, a symbol of God's supernatural provision for his people when they were obedient to what, they told, what he told them to do. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If you are more loyal to your job than you are to your God, you are not a Christian. I mean, th there are some of us, and again, I, I speak not as if I've arrived, because I have not. But there are some of us 
who are more faithful to the job than we are to spending time with Jesus in our Bibles. I mean, we will, we will get up. They tell us to be there at 6. We, we wake up at 5, clean out our eyelids, clean our armpits, jump in the car. We're there when they tell us to be there. You have a day off? God says, will you wake up and be with me at 6? You'll be like, come on, man. Let me, let me roll over. I got a little bit more time in the bed this morning. This is a serious matter. At the end of the day, my friends, I'm, I'm sit- today I was sitting back, and one of my buddies called me, and we were talking, and I was sitting back and just thinking at the, the level of chaos and insanity that our world has gone to. I mean, if you were just to trace back five years, just trace back ten years, the cra- they had the other night, they had a, 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 on CNN, they had a town hall meeting. Did you guys see that? They had a town hall meeting with... Uh, with the, the multiple gender curiosity thing going on there. And they had a little boy, nine years, or it wasn't a boy, it was a girl, but she identified as a boy. And the people were clapping for her in that confusion. Five years ago, ten years ago, never would have happened. We are quickly, quickly, quickly coming to a place where normality is going to be considered insanity and insanity is going to be considered normality my friends where they call good evil and evil good question my friends is whose side are we on who are we worshiping who do we serve moses is in the presence of god and by god's presence he is sustained you know, God just uses food as an excuse. Y'all not hearing nothing, I just said. God just uses food as an excuse. So we're in Exodus 34. Watch this. I don't know why that keeps coming up, but we're going to have to do some work there. Look at what it says in verse 28. It says, he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant the Ten Commandments. What are the words of the covenant? Keep that in mind. Remember, this is the angel of the covenant, right? It says, he came to pass when Moses, and it came to pass when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with two tables of testimony in Moses' hand when he came down from the Mount that Moses wist not, or he did not know that his skin, that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came nigh. And he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. Keep that in mind. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. So here's the story. You saw the story. Moses' face is on fire. That's how I like to describe it. Because he had been with Jesus. You know what? I, I've said this many times. I'll, I'll say it till, I, till Jesus comes. I am not satisfied in my Christian walk till my face is on fire. Till I'm so close with Jesus. It is not like Moses knew his face was on fire, you know what I mean? 
It's not like he knew his face was glowing, but his experience was so rich that when he walks out, the people who did not have that fellowship were afraid of that experience. It reminded me of a story that we read in the book of Genesis. When God came down in the cool of the day, what happened to the people of God? They ran while they were running. Was God angry? Was he upset? Was throwing lightning bolts out of his eyes? Was he calling them sinners? No, he was simply living and being God, pure, holy, righteous, undefiled. And man in his natural state does not want to remain in a place of purity and holiness. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Doesn't want that. But here, Moses' face is shining. So what does the Bible say happened when Moses' face is shining and they run? What does Moses do to appease the people? What does he do? He puts a veil on his face so that he can communicate the realities of the covenant. I'll say it again. Moses put a veil on his face so the people wouldn't run away while he communicated the Ten Commandments to the people. Now, every story is an explanation of the gospel. Now, go with me to the book of Hebrews now. Book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Hopefully, you'll see what I just laid for you there. Hebrews, chapter 10. We're going to begin reading at verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to begin reading at verse 19, and we're going to read verse 20. Verse 19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness. I like that word. Boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Amen. By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us, through the, what's it say? Through the veil, which is his what? Nobody's paying attention. You paying attention? Moses put a veil on his face so that he could walk amongst the people and communicate the realities of the gospel to the people. So Jesus, who represents God, veils himself in flesh so that he can come down and be amongst the people to communicate the realities of the covenant that God has with his people. Are you following what I'm saying, my friends? John chapter 1. John chapter 1, in verse 1, we've read this many nights, but again, I just want to make sure you get this. John 1, verse 1, we're going to read 1 through 4, and then we're going to read verse 14. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was, what's it say, my friends? Life. And the life was the, what's it say? Light. The life was the light of men. Verse 14. And the word was made, what's it say? Now, please, replace flesh with the word that we're using tonight. Yes, very good. And the word was veiled and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory 
the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It was imperative that Christ veil himself. Can you imagine the Most High, pure and holy as he was, coming down in his natural glory? Do you know what our reaction would be to him? We would seek to hide, but number two, because we're not holy, because we're not pure, we would flash away. We would vanish. He is holy. He is pure. He is righteous. Altogether different from us. So Moses comes into the presence of God. God veils himself in a burning bush. God veils himself to come amongst us, to be with us. I consider that great love. What do you say? And so it is in the book of Revelation. The angel comes down clothed with a cloud and his head with a, a, a rainbow on his head. His face is shining like the sun. I want you to go now to Matthew 17. Matthew 17, we're going to read verses 1 and 2. I think you got that point, and we're about to have a quiz in a moment, so stay with me. In Matthew 17, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says, And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. And was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the, what's it say? Sun, and his raiment was white as the light. So this passage is highlighting that Jesus himself, his face is shining like the sun, just like the angel in Revelation chapter 10. Well, let's go a little bit further. Revelation chapter 1. Go to Revelation chapter 1. Watch this. Revelation chapter 1, we're looking at verses 12 through 16. Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. The Bible says, I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Who is this being in Revelation chapter 1 that is standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks who has these characteristics and his face shining like the sun? Who is this being? This is Jesus. So now, let's just stay with me for a moment. So Moses' face, when he goes into the presence of God, comes out and his face is shining. We have Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when he's in the presence of God, comes out and his face is shining. And then we have in Revelation chapter 1, this being that comes out and his face is shining like the sun. So when I get to Revelation chapter 10, I can't just all of a sudden say, this is some other random person. In Revelation chapter 10, this angel, no ordinary angel. This is a covenant-keeping, 
God-loving, I mean, people-loving being that wants to be near to his people. And he's coming down with a covenant. Now, what's a covenant? What is a covenant? It's like a contract. And, and in, in this sense, in the biblical sense of a covenant, it's God who dictates the terms of it, and you agree. Okay, that's, a, that's essentially what it is. Here, here's the, and not only is this covenant so awesome because God dictates the terms. He says, this is, this is righteousness. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not, all these things that you're not supposed to do. But in every command that he tells you, this is what you're not supposed to do, he says, but I am your power to do what I command you to do. He doesn't say, don't do this. Check back with me when you're done. He comes and he's the covenant-keeping God. He is in the midst of his church. He is in the midst of the body. Keep this. Let's go a little bit further. I think you got that part. So we have, let's just do a quiz. So a cloud and a rainbow together is a symbol of what, my friends? A covenant. Very good. And who alone appears in a cloud? That's right, divinity. Divinity alone appears in a cloud. And then the face shining like the sun, the face shining like the sun is a symbol of enduringness, lastingness, purity, holiness. And we had examples of that. Moses' face shines like the sun. Jesus' face shines like the sun. The angel in Revelation 10's face shines like the sun. And now we're at the pillars of fire. And now it's actually at 30 marks. So we'll see how fast we can move along here. So why is his feet like pillars of fire? For the sake of time, you see the verses up there, but I just want to go directly to Nehemiah. Nehemiah 9.12 says, Moreover, in a pillar of cloud thou lettest them by day, and in a pillar of fire by, what's it say? So the purpose of a pillar of fire is to lead at what time? At nighttime. And when it's a pillar of cloud, what time is he leading? At what time? At daytime. So a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud indicates that God is leading. Are you with me so far? Okay. Go back to Revelation chapter 10. Back to Revelation 10. We're still, you, can you imagine we're still in verse number one? Is that amazing? Still in verse number one. I want us to go to verse number two now. Let's see what verse number two yields us. Verse number two says, And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. So he has in his hand a little book open, left, what is his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. There's a, an image of that there, and there's this little book in his hand. Now, my question is, what is this little book? Could be, but it's a little book. Now, I'm going to share with you some passages. Is there another book that had not, that had been sealed? So, this one says the book is open. So, if it's open, that means at one point it was, it was closed. I want us to examine Revelation 5, 1 through 10. We're going to do it quickly, but before we get to Revelation 5, 1 through 10, we're going to do Revelation 1. Please notice Revelation 1. Look at this. 
It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Then it says, John to the seven churches. So what I wanted to show you, and let's see if I put it here. Yes. What I wanted to show you is that the book of Revelation, God gave it to Jesus, or Jesus gave it to the angel. The angel gave it to John, and John gives it to the seven churches. You guys see that? Now, I thought it was interesting. That's a little pattern. Then I, then I saw another pattern. As I was studying the book of Revelation, I saw another pattern that stood out to me and is found in Revelation chapter 5. So go to Revelation 5, and I want you to see this. Revelation 5, verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. In Revelation 5, 1, it says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. So there's a book written on both sides, front and back. Now, I looked through all the Bible. You could do this yourself. Type in the eSword, just real quick search. Something that's written on the front and on the back. It's only three times that I saw in the Bible the whole time. And I'll share, I'll share them with you hopefully before we're done. But I want you to see that there's a book in his hand. And look at verse 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. Do you guys saw that? So there's someone sitting on the throne. It's God the Father. The lamb goes to God the Father and takes the book out of his hand. So now the, now the lamb has the book. All right? The next time we see a book in the book of Revelation is in Revelation chapter 10, verse 1, with an angel. And we have that angel giving it to John, and then we have that same message being repeated and given to the world. Okay? So you have that pattern. God gives it to the lamb. Next time you see the book, the angel has it, but it's a little book. And then John takes that little book. He actually eats it. We're going to look at that in a moment. He eats it and chews it up, and then that book is then given to the, to the world. It's repeated again. I just thought it was an interesting pattern. Whenever I study the Bible and I see patterns, I get a little bit excited. Let's go a little bit further. So what does the book look like? Consider that it is written on the front and the back. Go to Exodus 32, verse 15. Exodus 32 in verse 15. In Exodus 32, in verse 15, the Bible says, And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of testimony were in his hand. What are the two tables of testimony? What are they? The Ten Commandments. The two tables of testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides. 
And on the one side and on the other were they written. So I'm going to share that verse with you, and then I'm going to make this statement. And you don't have to believe the statement, but I'm going to give it to you, and you have to prove me wrong. Whenever we see this idea of something being written on both sides, it always comes back to God's declarations of his law or his commands or his statutes. Everybody follow that? Anytime, there's three times, once in Ezekiel, once here in Exodus 32, and once in Revelation, uh, the Revelation chapter 5, which we're reading. It always comes back to his statutes and his laws. So now I'll go to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 9. Deuteronomy chapter 9. And I'm going to pause in a moment, and if you have any question, I'm going to pause. I'm not going to stop. Amen. I'm going to pause. If you have any question about what we covered, I want you to ask me because we're going to just keep building. So in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 9, it says, When I was gone up into the mount to receive the tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant, which the Lord made with you, then I abode in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. I neither did eat bread nor drink water. Verse 11. And it came to pass at the end of 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me the two tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant. So the reason why I'm emphasizing this, the idea of covenant, is that Moses goes into the presence of God. He comes out with a covenant. His face is on fire. Jesus himself goes up to the Father. He's in the presence of the Father. He comes down from the Father, and his face is glowing. There is a covenant relationship that God has uniquely with his chosen people. This is important because if you break the covenant with the Most High, then he can't do for you what he would normally do. Okay? Let me see something here. Yes, I'm going to put this here. It's a commentary. You don't have to believe it, but I'm going to put it. It says, there in his open hand lay the book. The role of the histories of God's providences, the prophetic history of nations and the church. Herein was contained the divine utterances, his authority, his commandments, his laws, the whole symbolic council of the eternal, and the history of all ruling powers in the nation. In symbolic language was contained in that role the influence of every nation, tongue, and people from the beginning of, of her history to its close. Question, if the book contains everything in it, is anything missing? Okay. So this book is based on the laws of God. I thought it was interesting. When I began to study Bible prophecy, there's one thing the Lord showed me that I, that I think every believer should fully understand. And here it is. Do you know how the doors, they open and they close? They have hinges, Yes. Do you know that when that the law of God is the hinge to Bible prophecy? In other words, the Bible says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach. That's the hinge. So if I violate my covenant relationship with the Most High, X is going to happen. If I keep my covenant relationship with the Most High, this is going to happen. If the, if the nation breaks God's law, the nation goes down. So 
It's easy as a student of prophecy if you walk into a home or you walk into a nation and you see the nation is violating God's law with no regard. So I don't have to have a special vision. I don't have to go, um, I don't have to do that. I have the law. I walk in. I walk into my house. I walk in and look in the cupboard. I can say, oh, that cupboard tells me cancer will arrive very shortly. Do you follow the idea? Because there are laws. I, I, I walk into a house and I see uh, videos. Oh, these are creation videos. Oh, these are nature videos. Oh, these are sermons. This home is going to be blessed. I go to another home, Rambo, Terminator. Well, we got problems in this home. This home is going to have a lot of fights and arguments. Are you following what I'm saying? So I don't, you don't have to be like clairvoyant to understand that the violation of God's law leads to X. Does everybody follow? This is the hinge by which the relationship is built. Now, in his hand is this book that contains all this stuff. So let's do a quick quiz. A cloud and a rainbow together is a symbol of what? The, the answer's on the screen, guys. It's, it's right there. It's right there. I know, I know it's tired, but it's right there. So a cloud and a rainbow together is a symbol of what? A covenant. And who alone appears in the cloud? God or divinity. And the face shining like the sun is as if God, God's face is enduring. Jesus' face shone as the sun. And, oh, we got, I'm jumping ahead here. And we have feet like pillars of fire indicating that God is leading in times of darkness. And then we have feet on earth and sea. Now, all right, for a few moments, let's just go to Deuteronomy 11.24 just to establish this one point. Deuteronomy, you're already in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 11.24. Remember the angel has his foot on the earth and on the sea. Deuteronomy 11.24. It says, Every place whereon the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours. From the wilderness and, and Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even into the uttermost sea shall your coast be. So wherever they put their foot, that was their territory. Right? They marched and conquered Canaan land. Wherever they put their foot, that was their, that was their land. So when you see uh, in Bible prophecy somebody standing on, the, standing on top of a beast or a dragon or something, that means he's conquered that beast or dragon. Okay? Let's go a little bit further with that idea. Go to Joshua 1.3. Joshua, the book of Joshua. Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Joshua 1.3. Look what the Bible says here. Again, repeating the same idea, and I, and I give you several passages on your study guide there to look up afterwards. Joshua 1.3. Here, the Bible says, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. So when I see the angel put his foot on the earth and on the sea, he says, I own this. This is mine. Everybody follow that? Now, this becomes significant because there is a beast that comes up out of the earth. And there's a beast that comes out of the sea. You guys see that? 
So in Revelation chapter 13, I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast up, rise up out of the sea, having seven horns and ten crowns upon his, upon his crowns, upon his heads, ten crowns upon his head, the name blasphemy. Right? So that beast, which we saw as the Antichrist power, trying to, trying to take control of what Jesus has already put his foot on. And we see a beast come up out of the earth, which we will talk about that beast very, very, very shortly. And that beast says, I don't care what God says, we own the earth. The other one says, I don't care what God says, we own the sea. There is a controversy. Do you guys see that? Okay, stay with me. Now it says, roars like a lion. Go back to Revelation 10, because we hadn't read that yet. Go back to Revelation 10. And while we go back to Revelation 10, is there any question on any of the images that I've already gone over? Any question on how we've applied them? And it's okay if you have a question. There's no, there is no bad question right now. Any question? Everybody's okay? Okay. Let's keep going. So in Revelation 10, we read in verse number 3, verse number 3, it says, And he cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roared, and when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, I haven't finished what the little book is, so give me a little bit of time with the little book, okay? Um, but I'll come back to that. It says, And he cried with a loud voice, and when he had cried, seven, uh, uh, when the lion roareth, then seven thunders uttered their voices. So what does that mean? All right. Yeah, let's use this here. Go with me to the book of John for a moment. The book of John, chapter 12. We're not going to start at verse 23. We're going to start probably at verse 28. John, chapter 12. And let's start at verse 28. Notice this. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by heard it said that it, what's it say, my friends? Thundered. So when they heard, when God, when a voice from heaven speaks, they didn't hear God's voice. They heard thunder. Okay? I thought that was interesting. And then it says, Another said, an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. So all these other passages say something similar, that when thunder comes, God is speaking. Okay? When thunder comes, God is speaking. So when the lion roared, seven thunders uttered their voices. The lion roars... God speaks back. Are you following, my friends? Let me go back for a second. I think I missed something I wanted to share with you. Da -da -da -da. Yes, I missed the, lion, the roaring of the lion. What does that mean? Let's go back to the roaring of the lion. Let's go to the book of Amos. Nope, Hosea. Go to Hosea. Nope, Isaiah 31.4. <laughs> Isaiah 31.4. Look at what the Bible says. Isaiah 31.4. Look at what the Bible says. It says, For thus hath the Lord 
spoken unto me. Who has spoken, my friends? All right, stay with me here. Like as the lion and the young lion roaring upon his prey, when a multitude of shepherds is called forth against him, he will not be afraid of their voice, nor abase himself for the noise of them. So shall the Lord of hosts come down to fight for Mount Zion and for the hill thereof. You guys see that? So who's going to fight like a lion? Who's doing that? The Lord. The Lord's going to come down and fight like a lion. Why is the Lord going to fight like a lion for, what is he fighting for? What is he fighting for? For his people. He's fighting for his children. Mount Zion is his people. Now, I don't know if you guys, I know it looks like some of you had children. You ever had children? Some of you have children? I was at church one time. I think I told you this. I was at church one time, and this lady randomly just walks up to me. And I had my little girl in my hand. And I'm normally a peaceful man, you know, kind and try to be gracious and try to be a Christian. I'm sitting there minding my business, and I have my little girl in my hand. And this woman comes up to me and says, let me have your child. I'm like, exactly, that look right there. (laughs) That look right there. And she literally, she doesn't just say it, she literally puts her hands on my baby. And I'm like, ma'am, please take your hand off my child. She's like, well, I spoke to your wife in the hallway. I said, I don't know nothing about that. She says, well, I, I said that I was going to be the godma. You said you're going to be the godma? Take, Ma'am, take your hands off my child. There was about to be a roar of a lion. You understand? Somebody was about to get broke up in church. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm saying I'm that protective over that which I love. How much more is the father protective over his own children? Now, remember... My time is fleeting, but remember, I, we were talking about the people of God being persecuted and prosecuted. In, in, book of, in, in the book of Daniel, it talks about God's people being scattered and stamped upon. Do you know God is about to do something to those people who mess with his children? Listen, I don't want to be on, this, on his bad side on any, any time of the week. Not, not at any time of the week do I want to be on his, on his bad side. In fact, Proverbs, go to Proverbs. It's not on the screen. It might be on your paper. Go to Proverbs. Yeah, it's in your paper. Proverbs chapter 19, and look at verse number 12. Psalms, Proverbs. Look at this. Proverbs 19, look at verse 12. And it's, it's interesting. We were, we were in, uh, I went to Nairobi, Kenya, and uh, we went to a, what do you call it when you look for lions? Safari. And we went on Safari. Now, the lions in a safari are different from the ones that are captive. We, w- we went to the, the ones that were captive for, uh, second. But the one in the safari, they, when they roar, there's a, there's a curdling sound, you know. You're like, it's a, it's, it, it, it makes you kind of freeze a little bit. The ones that are captured, they're docile as little kittens. You go over there, <laughs> you can poke it a little bit, play with a little paw, because they're captive. But our Lord is not a captive lion. He's, he's going to, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, he's about to do something special. Look at Proverbs 19. Look at verse 12. The Bible says, the king's wrath is as the roaring of a what, my friends? 
But his favor is as a dew upon the grass. The king's wrath is as a roaring lion. Look at Proverbs 20, verse 2. Look at Proverbs 20, verse 2. Look at what it says. It says, the fear of a king is as the roaring of a lion. Whoso provoketh him to anger does what? Sins against his own soul. So who, who wants to poke with the lion? You mess with one of his children. You mess with one of God's children, you see what happens. Brothers and sisters, I, I don't want to mess with any of God's I want. I am his child, amen? amen. And we want to love and respect each other. Now, I want to go to Amos chapter 3, verses 4 and 8. And this one's going to take a little bit of thinking, so you're going to have to stay with me on this one. Amos 3, verse 4 and 8. Amos chapter 3, verses 4 and verses 8. Now stay, stay with me on this. We're just doing a little bit of Bible study tonight, my friends. Amos 3, 4 says, Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth? I'm sorry, verse 4, I'm sorry. Will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? That's the question. What do you think the answer is? No. He's going to roar. The purpose of a lion roaring is to, to make his prey afraid. He paralyzes his prey when he roars to the great roar, right? So it says, will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he have not taken nothing? So think about how this is being described. If God himself is roaring... What does that mean? That he has what? That he has prey. If he's roaring, that means he has prey. Look at verse 8. The lion hath roared, who will not fear? So let me put this here. That's interesting. Lion roars, fear. The lion roars, who will not fear? And then it says, verse 8, the Lord has spoken, who can but, what's it say? Prophesy. So let me put this here. Lord spoken. And this is a Hebrew parallelism. The Lord spoken, someone must prophesy. So when a lion roars, it is like God speaking. Does that make sense? When the lion roars, it's like God speaking. And when, he, when the lion roars, there is a response. There is fear. When God speaks, someone must prophesy. Are you with me, my friends? So someone must prophesy. What are they going to prophesy about? All right. So we already established that God speaks when the thunders roar. And those are all verses that talk about thunder and God speaking. All of those verses there say, say that very thing. Okay. I want to go five more minutes with this, and then I, give, I need to give you the numbers for the longest prophecy and tie it all together. So you see this here. These verses over here talk about where his feet go, and that's where he conquers. You'll see Daniel 8, 7 there, and you see Daniel 10, 13 there. Let's go to Daniel 8, 7. I'm going to show you why the lion roars, okay? Daniel 8, 7. 
You guys are doing good. You're being very patient. You guys had a long week. You're hanging in there. Praise the Lord. Ezekiel Daniel. In Daniel 8, 7, it says, And I saw him come close into the ram, and he was moved with color or anger against him. And he smote the ram and brake his two horns, and there was no power in the ram to stand before him. But he cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. So let me ask you a question. Without you understanding exactly who this power is or whatnot, if someone's being stamped on, are they winning or losing? That's a very simple idea. So whoever this power is, what's ever transpiring here, they're losing. They're being stamped on. But verse 10 through 13 is where we want to focus for a moment. Now, 10 through 13 highlights the Antichrist power, and it highlights what he does against God's people. Look at verse 10. It says, And it waxed great even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and of the stars to the ground, and did what to them? Now, the host and stars are God's people. You'll see that as, as explanation by the same angel in Daniel 8, verse 24, okay, in t- verse 24 and 25. So this is God's people being stamped on. Now, if my daughter was being attacked or beat up, I'm not happy with that. You're not happy with that. God's not happy with that. So verse 11 says, Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host, and by him the daily was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. And an host was given him against the daily by reason of transgression. So there's an army given to him because of a great transgression. And it says, and it came and it cast down the truth to the ground. And it practiced and prospered. So if it's casting truth to the ground, is it good or bad? It's bad. If you throw truth to the ground, you know it's a bad power, okay? Without, you don't have to know the names of who's happening. You just need to understand the principle. Then it says in verse 13, Then I heard one saint speaking. And another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? Now, my friends, everybody wake up. Wake up. Wake up. We're at the critical point. This is critical. So many of us in this room have read verse 14 without understanding verse 13. There's a question. The question is, how long will the sanctuary and the hosts be trodden underfoot? How long are they going to be stamped upon? Again, if you're stamped upon, is that good or bad? That's bad. So the sanctuary is God's house. And his church and his people are the hosts. So the sanctuary and the hosts are trodden down. How long is it going to be as, as they are trampled underfoot? And the answer comes back very interestingly. And he said unto me, Unto 2,300 days, then shall the, what's it say, my friends? 
2,300 days. Now, you guys know time a day in Bible prophecy equals a year. Is that right? So how many years is that? 2,300 years. That is the longest time prophecy. Now, there's a reason why we're talking about this prophecy in connection with the angel in Revelation chapter 10. You'll see in a moment. In fact, before I even get there, let's just do this because I'm going to try to make this as simple as possible. I'll give you way, way, way much information. So go back to Revelation chapter 10 for a second. Look at this. I'm going to watch this, my friends. It says in verse number, so God is speaking, the, the lion roars, God speaks back, there's a communication that happens. Verse 4 says, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. So don't write what, you, what just happened. And the angel which I saw stand upon the seat upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created the heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things that therein are, that there should be, what's it say, my friends? Well, that's interesting. All right. Um, oh, okay, we'll use the bottom half of this. <laughs> Time no longer. Now, I just gave you the longest time prophecy. It was 2,300 days. There was something that is supposed to be transpiring with the 2,300 days. You're not, they're not going to be stamped upon anymore. The sanctuary is going to be clean or restored. Now, in the passage here, it says no more time. Now, why is he talking about time like that? Hold your hand here. Remember what you saw with the angel with his right foot upon the sea, left foot upon the earth, lifts up his hands to heaven. Can you see it? Did you see what you asked? That's what I'm looking. And he's swearing. What is he swearing? Go to Daniel chapter 11. I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. Look what the Bible says now in verse number four. Daniel 12, beginning at verse four. The Bible says, but thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. Remember the other day we were talking about this, while the, the scrolls are rolled out? And they run from one part of the scroll to the other. Because that's how the Bible, the Bible wasn't like this. It was in scrolls. So they would roll the scroll out. You study the book of Isaiah, they'd be like, go to the other side of the room. And they'll run back and forth through the scrolls as they study the word of God. That's what that means. It doesn't mean that they became tech wizards and created computers. That's not what that means. Okay? But watch what it says. And knowledge is going to be increased. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold... There stood other two, the one on this side of the bank of the river and the other on that side of the bank of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? 
Notice the question again is regarding time. How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a, what's it say? Times and what? Times and what? And a half. And when he, had, and when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. Well, that's interesting. Time, times, and half a time. You guys, you guys remember we studied that time prophecy already? That's three and a half times. That three and a half times, uh, that's 42 months. That's 1,260 days. All this was 1,260 years. Now, I put this time here. Now, here, Listen. To me, this is one of the, to me, this is one of those prophecies in my mind as I'm pro- processing it. It's one of these prophecies that I ask God, I don't want to just know the numbers. I want to know why. Okay? So I'm looking at this time prophecy. This time prophecy said that the, pe- the power of God's people will be scattered. That means they don't have strength of their natural selves as they're standing in this time of persecution. They don't have strength. They're being trodden on. They're being stamped on. This is the host are trodden on here, and the sanctuary is cleansed here. The sanctuary is cleansed for the 2,300 days, and the people's strength comes back to them after the 1,260 years. Are you with me? I'll say it again in a more simple way. Time. After 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. When the sanctuary is cleansed, God is saying that's when the sanctuary is no longer stamped upon. 1,260 years is saying this is when God's people will no longer be scattered or persecuted or prosecuted. That's when this is over. Revelation 10 says there shall be no more time. Now, when it's talking about no more time, it's talking about time prophecy. So, you know, there's people now that say, oh, you're going to take this 1260 and throw it in the future, and it's going to tell us when Jesus is coming. No. Oh, 2300 day prophecy reapplied to the future. No. Time prophecy has a time of completion and application. So the question would be, when does this time prophecy apply? You have to come tomorrow morning. (laughs) Well, you got to come tomorrow morning. You see... In my mind, brothers and sisters, there is a place. Let me see something else. I'm going to show you this. Let me show you this. I'm past that. I want to show you this. I'll just give it to you now, and you can, you can work with it later. So this is the 2300-day prophecy. It's connected to the other prophecy we did with the 490-day prophecy, right? It starts at the same time, 457 Take the 2300 days, it brings you all the way to the year 1844. Now, for a few moments, I'm just going to explain why this is significant. You see, the angel in Revelation chapter 10, the covenant-keeping God, comes down to, to his people and reconfirms his covenant with his people. And he does something special. 
And my friends, if we begin to understand the why, we can help finish the work. I'll say it again. If we can begin to understand the why, we can help finish the work. Now, the book is the book of Malachi. Go with me to the book of Malachi. Watch carefully. Watch carefully what we're doing. I gave you a lot of information. Watch this. We're going to the book of Malachi. Watch, brothers and sisters. If you watch and you see this and your eyes open, I'm going to be praising God. We're going to chapter 3. We're going to verse number 1. Now, I've given you quite a bit of, like, you have your own lesson, God. They give you, I give you this. They're going to give you a lesson, God, tonight. I need you to go home and study. Maybe not tonight. Go to bed. Then wake up and study. But look at this, Malachi chapter 3. Behold, I send my, what's it say, my friends? What did I tell you angel means? What does angel mean? Come on now, pay attention. Behold, I send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom ye shall seek, shall suddenly come to planet earth. What's your, what's your Bible say? He comes to his temple? I'm glad you caught that. And the Lord, whom you seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the what? Come on now. Y'all paying attention? You see, when, I, when we do these studies together, you'll be like, man, Andre, you're giving me all these verses. What are you trying to do with us, man? If you stay with me, you're going to get it. So the messenger comes to the temple. He's the messenger of the covenant. Mm. Watch what happens. Whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, save the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? Now, when he comes, where is he coming to? Based on what we read in verse 1, where is he coming? The temple. So who's going to abide when he comes to his temple? And who shall stand when he appeareth? Where is he appearing? In his temple. Stay with me. Then it says, for he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Now, for a moment, refiner's fire. What is that? That's when you have silver and it has dross on it. And you want to get the impurities off the silver. So you put that precious metal inside the fire so that the impurities can come off the silver. Are you following what I'm saying? What is fuller's soap for? It is for extreme cleaning. Deep stains caused by rebellion in the hearts of men. And God uses these two images, refiner's fire and fuller's soap, to say who will abide when the angel of the covenant enters into the temple and he begins his work of cleaning. I have a question. Are you clean? He wants you to be clean. 
You see, the longest time prophecy brings us into a point. Man, I'm going to have to do something on my computer. Brings us to a point in earth's history where God begins the final process of cleaning. Now, my friend used this example all the time. Frizzy uses the example. Uh, let's say a mom is cleaning in her kitchen. And she's cleaning. And he got the little boys running in with their dirty shoes. How do you think mom's going to feel about that? So she tells little Johnny, Johnny, you can't come in this kitchen no more. Stay out. So Johnny stays out. Then Bobby comes through the door, dirty shoes, mess up the floor again. Bobby, you got to stay out the kitchen. So she's repeating herself over and over. It comes a point when mommy says, you know what? We're locking these doors. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It comes a point as God is cleaning that he's going to shut the door and says, nobody else in here. It has to be clean. There's a statement in the Bible that actually dictates that. In fact, go to the book of Revelation. Hold your hand in Malachi. We're not done with that yet. But go to Revelation, chapter 22. Notice what it says in, Matthew, in Revelation, chapter 22, and we're reading in verse number 11. It says, he that is unjust, let him be, what's it say, my friends? Unjust steal. And he that is filthy, let him be what, my friends? Filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be what, my friends? And he that is holy, let him be what, my friends? There is a point in which Jesus says, no more. It's enough. And my friends, today, for the... I mean, I, I say this from time to time. Like, I, I say this from time to time. This world is not my home. I don't want to be here. I wish Jesus would come. But today, I sat back and I really said, Father, do I really have to keep going in this mess? Do I, I mean, do I, do I, do we, do, do I really have to keep going in this mess? And Andre said, the Lord said to me, Andre, I've given the solution to the problem. You see, the father is in the cleaning business right now. The door is open. And he's inviting people to come in, and he's letting he's saying, come in, let me clean you. I thought about the other day. My wife and I keep talking about getting older. And she's like, well, I'm going to have to clean you. I was like, woman, you ain't going to clean me. I'm going to clean myself. <laughs> the, the idea that somebody else has to clean me is annoying in my mind. Right? It, isn't that that's like intrusive? It's a private situation. I don't need you, woman. Come on, back up. But then I, the Lord said, Andre, I have to clean you. You, you remember Peter is sitting there and, and the Lord's like, I need to wash your feet. Peter's like, wash my feet? You'll never wash my feet. Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you will have no part in me. Then Peter's like, wash, wash me. <laughs> I love Peter, man. He's just. The Lord is in the cleaning business right now. 
The door is open. It's not going to feel good when he does it. Because pride doesn't take it lightly. He wants to get in there and clean it up. And the interesting thing about humanity, because sometimes I wish I could just take a bath one time and I'm done. Because I feel like I'm wasting time. I got things to do. (laughs) My wife's like, Andre, I smell you. (laughs) Now, my wife has a super nose. We can't just get washed one time. Every day, every moment. It's so interesting how we can wound and hurt people, and we don't intend to, and it's because we're not careful to make sure that we're clean. It's a, it's a challenge. And that's why today I was thinking, man, I just, I don't know. And the Lord's like, Andre, I have a plan. I began the process of cleaning. Will you enter in? You had your finger in Malachi, we're ending with this. It says in verse 3, And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and shall purge them as gold and silver. Why? Why is, he, why is he doing this? Why is God in the process of cleaning? What is his intent? That they may offer unto God an offering in righteousness. You know what he wants to do? He wants to clean us up, and then he wants to show us off. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The Father wants to clean us off, clean us up, and then he wants to say, see, You see my daughter? You see my son? You see where they started? You see where they are? You see the power of the blood? You see his power to save. So why the time prophecy? Time prophecy just lets you know he's in the last stage of his work. The question is, will you allow him to clean you from the inside out? Will you allow him to do that? Every head bowed, every eyes closed. Father, your word is beautiful. Lord, I love how you illustrated your covenant relationship with your people through this angel of the covenant how you fought for your people in times of darkness, how you've walked with them in times of light. 
have you come clear to communicate your covenant and your love with your children? And Father, as we have entered into our most holy place experience with you, we ask, Lord, that you truly make us clean. The reality is that if we are clean, then you can dwell here. And if you can dwell in our temples, then you can be glorified. And if you can be glorified, then others who don't know you can see you and come to the light. And if they come to the light, then we can go home. We can finish this work. So in this room right now, Father, we're on our knees. We're bowing our heads. <laughs> Not because this was the greatest sermon in the world or because we're good and holy, but because you are good and you are holy. And you have made the promise to clean us. And you have made the promise to purify us. And Father, what we are asking, Lord, is to teach us how to remain while you do the cleaning. Teach us how to submit, Father, as you're getting into those dark areas of our lives. It's hard to stay there, Lord, for self does not want to be <laughs> revealed. So please help us. Please help us to walk into that religious experience with you, to be so near to usher in your soon coming. We love you, Father. But we ask that you teach us to love you more than anything else in this world. And I know that Judas loved you too and still betrayed you. So help us to be faithful. We pray this in Jesus' name and claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Amen. Amen.